Well, before we begin looking at God's word, let's pray once more. Father, we come to you in that precious name of love. The name which itself defines love. The name of Jesus. We come to you now by the power of the spirit that lives within us. Asking you, Lord, to take our hearts and incline them to you. To remove the distractions and noises of the world, the concerns, the fears, the anxieties, the frustrations, whatever it is that seeks to grab hold of our hearts. We pray that you would break its grasp so that our hearts could be inclined wholly to you. We pray that you would open our eyes and that we would see your beauty, your majesty, your glory this morning in your word as it shines forth in your sun. Father, we ask that you would unite our hearts as one here, as one church, as one family in Christ, to love and fear your name. That we would be satisfied, beyond satisfied, with that amazing, divine, supernatural love that you've given us, the very love that exists within the Trinity, that you would lead us into truth, that you would help us, Lord, not simply be led to truth, but to rejoice in truth, to rest in truth. And Lord, I pray for the hearts of anyone here who is perhaps burdened, weary, and heavy laden with sin or circumstances. I pray, Father, that that burden would be lifted this morning as they gaze upon Christ. May the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, in Jesus' name, amen. You take your copy of God's word and turn with me to John chapter 13. We're continuing our series, The DNA of a Disciple. And today, our focus is going to be John 13, verses 34 and 35. The Apostle John walked with Jesus for three years. Morning, evening, good times and bad. He walked with him, saw him, was taught by him. The Apostle John then spent a lifetime serving him. Early on, he was called a son of thunder, but by the end of his life, he uses the word love more than any other writer. And near the end of his life, he wrote a letter in our Bibles known as 1 John. And in that letter, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know 
that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And then in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, he writes, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's clear that love is to be the chief characteristic of a true disciple in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our passage this morning, John 13, verses 34 and 35, are going to unpack that very truth. And our big idea this morning, the big idea within these two verses, is that true disciples of Christ must love brothers and sisters in Christ. True disciples of Christ must love brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's read these morning, this morning's passage. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let me set the stage a little bit, give a little context. John chapter 13 is the beginning of, his, of what is known as the farewell discourse. It will go chapters 13 through 17. And here in chapter 13, the public ministry of Jesus comes to an end. His arrest and his crucifixion are looming. He will briefly be in the garden, betrayed by Judas and arrested. And so Jesus begins his final words with his disciples here in John 13. And in these final words from our Lord Jesus, in this farewell discourse, he's seeking to tell them how they are to live in this world as his followers. And those words that he's saying to them apply to us today. John 13, verses 34 and 35 will show us how we are to live as disciples of Christ in this world. And so our first point this morning is a question. How is it a new command? Look at verse 34 with me. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus is saying this is a new commandment. But is it really? Is it really a new commandment? Let's state the obvious. It says here, when he says a new commandment, let's just understand it's a new command, not a new suggestion. So all that will be taught here from these passages is not optional. It is a new command to be obeyed. Now, what Jesus is saying here, new commandment I give to you, it, it, it is similar to what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, Jesus says, you, I mean, God says through his word, you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. We looked at that in our first message in this series. It also sounds a lot like what we see in Leviticus chapter 19. 
In Leviticus 19, verse 18, we, we read, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus is saying is similar here, and yet it's different. It's not the same. It's not the same because Jesus changes the focus a bit. It is not to no longer love your neighbor, he says here, but to love one another. When Jesus is saying to love one another to his disciples, it's a command to love fellow believers indiscriminately. Jesus is looking at this group that he loves dearly. He knows that he's about to depart. He knows that he'll be put to death. And he says, love one another. Imagine being there with Christ in that room. He's talking about leaving, dying, departing. There's confusion perhaps in your heart. And he tells you, as he's saying this, you're looking around the room and he's saying, I want you to love him. I want you to love one another. The people of God were made up of different ethnicities, different experiences. We come from socioeconomic backgrounds that differ. We're different ages. None of those are a barrier to our love. Jesus says, love one another. He doesn't qualify it. The diversity that we have is a picture of the kingdom to come. So Jesus tells them, love one another. So it differs there just from neighbor. It also differs because previously we saw it said, love your neighbor as yourself. But now Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And this point here is what really marks it as a new command. It's a new command because Jesus is now saying that he is to be the example the in the standard, the measuring stick, if you will, of love. Love is no longer to be defined by how you would love yourself. Jesus says, no, it's no longer look at, think about how would I want somebody to love me? Jesus says, no, fix your focus on how I have loved you. You are to love one another in the same exact way that I have loved you. What kind of authority does Jesus have here? You recognize for Jesus to say, if Jesus is not truly the Messiah, if he is not the savior of the world, if he is not God, he could not make this command, but he can make this command of his disciples and of the church in all ages because he is the Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ, God the Son. It is a new command because now we are commanded to look unto Christ as our standard and example of love. And being that they, they have just had the Lord's Supper in John 13 at the beginning here, we understand that this command to love one another as Christ has loved us must be understood in light of the new covenant that Jesus pro promised. Listen to Ezekiel 36. 
In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 26. God's word says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What Jesus is commanding is flowing out of this great promise in Ezekiel, this new covenant to come, this new covenant that has been inaugurated, brought in by the blood of Christ. Notice in Ezekiel, it said, God says, Yahweh says, I will put a new spirit within you. This is a promise to the fact that all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are not only forgiven, but they are indwelt filled by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of love himself lives within you. Therefore, what Christ is commanding, he is also empowering. Church, love is a fruit of the Spirit. Listen to Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, love. This means that what Christ is commanding, this command is only truly possible if we have repented of our sin, entrusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and been filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the natural man, the natural woman cannot love truly apart from the spirit of God dwelling in them. Because God is love. This new commandment that Christ has given to love one another as he has loved us can only be understood in light of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, and through his resurrection. This is what Jesus is preparing them to come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. So let's take some time now to look at that. But let me ask this question before we go further. If I asked you, how is it that Jesus has shown his love for you? What would your answer be? How has Jesus shown his love for you? Perhaps the most common answer, and it's the right, it's a right answer, would be that he died for me. He took my sin. He bore my sin on that old rugged cross, endured the wrath of God, and died for me. And that is true and beautiful. But there's so much more. Jesus has shown his love for us in so many more ways. That may be the pinnacle, but that is not the only way. So let's briefly look at some ways how he has loved us. The first one is found right here in John chapter 13, verse 1. And we see here that Jesus has loved us with an unchangeable love. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, 
having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. To the end. There was not a moment where Jesus' love for them ceased, stopped, or changed. And he will continue to love them through all eternity. He loves them now as he sits at the right hand of the Father. He has loved us with an unchanging, persevering love. Jesus will love you to the very end. He will love you to the end and into eternity and for all eternity. His love will not change. He's also loved us with a humble, serving love. Also in John 13, he shows us this. Look at John 13, verse 5. Then he poured water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel, which he had tied around himself. Go down to verses 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I... The Lord and the teacher washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should always do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is right after this is when Jesus is going to give this command. So this tells us that this is part of what it means to love one another. Jesus has loved us with a serving love. The King of King, the Lord of Lords, the one that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, the one who for all eternity God's people will worship, takes upon flesh and washes dirty feet in an act of service, an act of love. Jesus does not see the washing of the feet of these disciples as something below him. Rather, he is showing us and telling us that true love is serving and that there is nothing below you in service to another person in love. Jesus is simply saying here, Love is you before me. It's a serving love. Jesus has also loved us with a divine love. John 15, verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. How much does Jesus love you if you are a follower of Jesus? He loves you with the same quantity and quality of love that God the Father loves him. Think about that. The perfect love that existed for all eternity before God made anything, the perfect love that existed between God the Father and God the Son, that is the very love, he says, that he has for you this morning. Perhaps you don't feel loved by the people in your life. Perhaps you are afflicted with a deep sense of loneliness, despair. Perhaps you think you're unlovable. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, is what Jesus says to you this morning. 
He loves you with a perfect divine love. And when you know that you're loved, but a love like that, you cease to live and die on the love you receive from others. He's also loved us with a a self-sacrificing love. John 15, 13, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is speaking with the cross in mind. This farewell discourse is just that, farewell, because in chapter 18, we begin the passion narrative, his death. Jesus is saying, yeah, there is no greater love, and I'm about to show it to you. I'm about to give my perfect, righteous life for sinners. I will sacrifice my life in love for you, and sinners will become saints, enemies will become friends, the illegitimate will become true sons and daughters of God, because it's a sacrificing love in which he loves you. Jesus has also loved you with a predestining love. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Before the first Adam was ever created, the first quark was ever created, he set his love upon you. If you are sitting here this morning and you have repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness and righteousness you so need, that in eternity past, he set his love on you. And why did he do it? Jesus set his love on you simply because he desired to love you. He didn't say, well, they know they're going to choose me. Therefore, I'll respond and love them. It's not a business transaction. It's not something you earned. It's not something you merited. It is not something you deserve. He simply loves you because he wanted to. And despite what this world and this culture will tell you, because we are born in sin, nobody in this world deserves to be loved. If you deserve something, it means that somehow you've earned or merited it, but you don't. We deserve judgment. But God freely in Christ chose to set his love upon us. That is the foundation, the standard of why it is a new command that we are to love one another. And why love is not conditionally based, but freely given. And God does not love some of you more than he loves others. We tend to think, well, he he loves me more because I'm more righteous. No, God loves all of you equally. He loves me and you equally if we are in Christ by faith. He has set his love on you in eternity past, before the foundations of the world, before any of us did anything. So his love for us cannot be based on our performance because his love for us was given before we existed. 
He loves us with a predestining love. That's great comfort. Because on your worst day, you're still perfectly loved. In your darkest moment, you're perfectly loved. Christ has also loved us with an abiding love. Listen to John chapter 17, verse 26. And I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Not only does Christ say my love will be in them, but I will be in them. And Christ being love, God is love. The one who is loved lives and resides in you by his spirit. His divine, supernatural, perfect love abides in you by his spirit. So Christ himself abides. It's a perfect love that doesn't waver. It's a perfect love that will never cease. And because God does not change, he is immutable. God's love will never change. Again, we know nothing of this because even in our, as much as we let, we try and we think our love for one another changes. We do not love each other always as we do. Our love is high at times for one another. Our love is low. Sometimes we question if our love even exists for one another. But the love of Christ for you, brothers, sisters, does not change. It is constant, perfect, and will carry out through all eternity. You are loved. It's a forgiving love. Christ's love for you is a forgiving love. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has graciously forgiven you. It is a sin-forgiving love. His love removes the sin. His son removes the debt of sin between us and God. We were guilty. This forgiving love of Christ removes the debt of sin, the penalty of sin, the guilt of sin. This sin-removing, forgiving love leads to a restored, reconciled relationship with God. It's amazing. You know, forgiveness is hard for us. We say we forgive somebody and then conflict arises and we say, but there was that one time. And so we have to forgive all over again. And we have to keep forgiving the thing we say we've forgiven in one another. But when Christ has given us his forgiving love, he says, as far as the East is from the West, has he removed it, which is infinite. He's cast it into the bottom of the sea, he says. The forgiving love of Christ means that it has been completely washed away. There's no record of it anymore, relationally standing between you and God. You will not one day upset Jesus, and he's like, you know what? 
I remember four years ago when you said that thing or did that thing. No, because Christ has forgiven our love, forgiven us in love. He doesn't resurrect your sin to throw it in your face. It's been forgiven. It's been paid. It's been dealt with by his shed blood. He's loved us with a sanctifying love. Ephesians 5, verses 25 and 26 capture this beautifully. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Beautiful imagery of a husband and a wife. Jesus being the perfect groom. We see hints there of the sacrificial nature of his love, but why? To sanctify her. He loves us unto holiness. You know, so often we say we love somebody, but we love them because by loving them, it's going to somehow do something for us. I'm going to be loving and this will be the outcome. Very self-serving. Christ says, I will love them in with a sanctifying love that will make them more holy, that will beautify them, so that what? So that they can enjoy more of me. What great love is this? You're loving me unto holiness, and as my holiness increases, my love for you, my delight in you, my enjoyment of you also increases. He loves us with a sanctifying love, a love that leads unto holiness. And ultimately, his love for us is displayed in his death. First John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we have known love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also to lay down our lives for the brothers. His death serves as the visible expression of love. His death shows that love is costly, not easy. His death has now become the measuring stick for how love is to be shown. So take a moment and feel the weight of these words. Three words. Christ loves you. He loves you. It's not that he loved you in the past tense. It's that he loves you here and now in the present. And he will always love you. He has never stopped loving you. He will never stop loving you. He loves you. And it is crucial for us to understand the love of Christ. Because if not, we won't know what it means to love one another. This is why we had to stop here and unpack this, because if you do not get how Christ loves you, you had no chance of loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. In a world divided by hate, we are to be united in Christ-like love. And we are to see, yes, this is a command. But to love one another is not a duty, but a privilege. You don't have to love one another. You get to love one another. So that is 
how Christ has loved us. So now we can look at how we are to love. How it is that you and I as disciples of Christ love one another. We do not love one another simply when we feel like loving one another. Love is not a feeling. It is a choice to walk as Christ walked, to love as Christ loves. As we do so, as we choose to walk in love and truth, affections will follow. But if affections are missing, it doesn't mean you get a pass on how to love. So a couple of ways that we are to tangibly show we love, love to one another. And the first is we seek to love in devotion to one another. We are devoted to one another. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Romans 12, 10 reads, being devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. I wonder if you just look around the room this morning. Are you as devoted to loving the person you're looking at in this room as you are devoted to loving yourself? Are you as devoted to putting their needs and their well-beings before Christ ahead of your own? Do you have that level of devotion to one another? Or has that idea of being devoted to another believer even entered your heart before? It's not simply, I care for them. This is talking, I am devoted. I have a loyalty and allegiance to them. Again, we see that in Christ. He was devoted to loving us unto death. Our love for one another must be expressed in devotion to one another. We seek to love one another also sacrificially, which we've seen in Christ. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul's talking, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. A drink offering, a sacrifice poured out in service to God. Paul is saying, my love for these Philippians, I will pour my life out for them as Christ has poured out his life for me. Do you pour, are you willing and have you poured your life out for your brothers and sisters in Christ? And notice how Paul says it. I rejoice and share in my joy with you all. Pouring your life out in devotion to a brother or sister in Christ in love does not mean you should do it with a grumbling heart. It should be a joy because love is a privilege. We seek to love one another in service to one another. Galatians chapter 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So often we think I'm free. I'm free in Christ. So I'm going to do what I want to do. It's not wrong for me to do this thing. 
Right, but is it beneficial for your brothers and sisters in Christ? So often we take our liberties and flaunt them, and actually it results in hatred toward our brothers and sisters because it puts causes them to sin and to stumble. But Christ has set you free so that in love, you don't pursue what you want, but you pursue what is best for your brothers and sisters. If your choices, actions, and desires are going to cause sin, grief, anxiety, stress, frustration in the life of another believer, then you should consider whether or not you should do it, even if it's lawful, because it's not beneficial. Christ has set us free to be selfless, not selfish. We have been set free to love one another in service to one another. how Christ loved us. Christ set, Christ's entire life was a life in his ministry was one in service. Service to those who hated him. So do we live for ourselves or do we live in service to our brothers and sisters out of love? With that flows the next one. We seek to love one another by bearing with one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Similar statement is made in Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another. Graciously forgiving each other. This one's a little harder for me. Because bearing with one another in love is, means living in such a manner that your love for that person is shown in patience toward them. Some translations use the word tolerance. Think of how patient, how much Jesus bears with us. It's unbelievable just on a daily basis. Day by day, minute by minute, Jesus bears with us in patience to see us unto holiness. So let us love as he loves and let us extend this patient, bearing love toward each other. We need to because we are sinful people trying to live righteous lives, which means we're going to get it wrong. And because we're bearing with one another, we seek that we should love one another by forgiving one another. Ephesians 4.32, which we looked at earlier. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also graciously forgiven you. You and I must never refuse to forgive a fellow believer. If we refuse to forgive another believer, at that very moment, we have completely abandoned the gospel. We have forgotten the gospel. 
Because at that moment, we have failed to grasp the heinousness of our sin and the magnitude of God's gracious love toward us. If God in Christ, in love, could so forgive me, Alex Rodriguez, of the sin just today, let alone my entire life, who am I to refuse to forgive a fellow believer who is also being sanctified? I'll go as far to say that perhaps one of the most gospel things you and I can do is to truly forgive a brother and sister in Christ. We share in the ministry of Jesus when we forgive one another. You know, the beautiful thing about forgiveness is you can forgive somebody even before they ask for it. I can choose to not harbor unforgiveness and hatred and hard-heartedness toward them in my heart, whether I interact with them ever or not. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. I can choose by the power of the Holy Spirit in me to forgive them as Christ has forgiven me. Not only can I choose that, I must choose that. Unforgiving Christians are not Christians. Because to be an unforgiving Christian is not to be like Christ. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You will sin today in abundance, as will I. And yet Christ stands ready to forgive always. He has forgiven us eternally at the cross, and he forgives us daily relationally with him. And so we seek to love one another by forgiving one another. With that means also, we seek to love one another by regarding one another as more important than ourselves. Starting to step on toes here. Brothers and sisters, I don't know who said this to me years ago. But somebody once told me, If you're going to love people, you'll need to learn to be the least important person in your life. Let me repeat that. If you're going to love people, you'll need to learn to be the least important person in your life. True Christ-like love is giving. But if you're the most important person in your life, you're always taking. True love doesn't look at itself. Are you the least important person in your life? Or are you so focused on how others have wronged you and what you need from other people and how other people have let you down and I need, I need, I need, then you're not loving, you're taking. Loving seeks to give, even if it's not reciprocated. Did Jesus love to the degree that we loved him? No, he loved us first. He loved us perfectly. He loved, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do is what he cries from the cross as they're hurling insults after they've beat him, mocked him, stripped him bare and put him to death. So often what people say is love isn't. We're simply saying, well, I love them because of how they make me feel. That's not loving, that's using. 
We are to love people and consider them more important than ourselves, which means we love them even if it's not reciprocated. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ in this way? And we seek to love by praying for one another also. This is another matter of ways in which we show our love. Listen to James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. I genuinely hope when people say they're going to pray for you and you know that they do pray for you, that that is precious to you, that that's a treasure to you. That if a fellow brother and sister in Christ is lifting you up before God in prayer, that you would understand that that is a otherworldly expression of love and the world doesn't understand it. That's why the world mocks us when we say, when a situation happens and we say we're praying, well, what does prayer change? James 5, 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Do you realize when, when a brother or sister says they're praying for you and truly does, in that moment, they're asking the one true holy God to act on your behalf and to bring about a sanctifying work in your life? If we were to really think about it, there are a few things somebody could do for you more loving than to lift you up in prayer and bring you before the very throne of God. Now, whether you believe that or see it that way really will depend on what you believe about God and what you believe about prayer. So these are some tangible ways that we can love one another as Christ has loved us. All those things listed, he's, Christ has done for us. He does. He is doing for us. Now, let me circle back to something I said earlier. I said that if we're to love each other as Christ has loved us, then we need to understand the measure and depth of our sin and the measure and depth of Christ's love. Here's why. As you and I see how undeserving we are to begin with because of our sin, as we see that and begin to grasp that, we can begin to see and grasp the radical nature of Jesus's love. And as we see the radical nature of Jesus's love, we begin to understand the radical nature in which I'm supposed to love you and you are supposed to love me. If we do not grasp the depth of our sin and the magnitude of Christ's love for us, then any attempt to try to love one another is pointless because it's devoid of any meaning or value. It's based on what? Love is love? It's a pointless statement. It has no basis. It has no foundation. It has no value. No, love is not love. God is love. Jesus is the basis of our love for one another. He is the standard, the measuring stick of our love for one another. Church, we all have different gifts, but we all have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Lord and Savior. From the highest to the lowest, from the known to the unknown, all of us are commanded and enabled to love one another as Christ has loved us. Loving one another is not a spiritual gift given to some. It is a command given to all. Disciples do not simply believe in Jesus. They follow Jesus. 
They seek to live like Jesus. And that means you will love like Jesus. Far too many men and women in our churches think that they're true disciples because they affirm the right statement of faith. But you can affirm the right statement of faith and be completely devoid of love. This is why the the late theologian A.W. Pink wrote, quote, love is the badge of Christian discipleship, end quote. So let me briefly remark here in verse 35. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Some striking words here from our Lord. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. You could say that Jesus is now saying that he is going to put the world in the jury box to see if you and I are guilty of truly being his disciples. He's given the world the authority, the right to look upon how you and I love one another and see if there's enough evidence to truly declare you guilty of being a disciple of Jesus. Think about that. He allows the world to be the jury on this matter. Are they going to look at how you guys interact with one another and say, yeah, they're really followers of Christ? That's striking. So often we think that it's our sound doctrine that the world will see and hear, and they'll be like, yeah, they're the real deal. They're the real deal. They're really Christians. But that's not the case according to what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, if you have love for one another. It's our love for one another that the watching world will see and know that we're true. Now, I have to qualify that statement. True Christ-like love must flow out of truth. We don't need to pit truth and love against each other. Our culture wants to say that love is greater than everything. But the reality is that love, true love, Christ-like love, God-honoring love, Holy Spirit-empowered love requires the truth of God's word. Because it is only through the word of God that we understand the love of God. So don't hear what I'm not saying. They will know us by our love, but we will know what true love is because we know his word. And we know, we know more importantly, we know God through his word. We know Christ through his word. With that statement, let me ask you this. If the evidence that's presented to the watching world as they sit in the jury box is our love for one another, Do they declare you guilty of being a true disciple of Christ? Are you guilty of being a true disciple of Christ before the world based on the evidence of your love for one another? Or is there little to no evidence to bring into the courtroom? Where love is absent, Christ is not being followed. Love for each other demonstrates that we're in Christ. It demonstrates that we've received new life. The Apostle John wrote, 
these verse these verses we've been looking at. But near the end of his life, I said he had written the epistle of 1 John. Listen to what he says, this very thing in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love abides in death. We are to love one another as true disciples of Christ. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. Now, some sermons are harder to prepare than other sermons because some sermons confront you more deeply with your own sin. That was one of those weeks for me. This week, I've seen how little I know of Christ's love for me. Because of how little I know of Christ's love for me, I see just how short I fall of loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. I spend most, to be completely honest, I spend most of the week defeated by that truth. I just felt defeated, crushed, and hollowed out about my lack of love for my brothers and sisters and my lack of knowing Christ's love for me. Maybe some of you are struggling with that today. Let me offer this word of encouragement. I struggled. And as I struggled and saw my lack of love and came to the Lord in prayer and repented of my lack of love, God graciously met me in that prayer. And he reminded me that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Your lack of love does not mean you need to double down on your strength. It means go to the Lord with confession, with need, because he is working in you and he will make you a more loving person. God was gracious to remind me that to grow in love, I need only fix my heart upon Christ. And he will bring it about. Because on my own, I can't love. And I think that's at the heart of it. So often I'm trying to love on my own efforts rather than giving myself completely over mind, body, and soul to the power of the Holy Spirit in me. So brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on Jesus. Love him with all the strength he gives you. And then as he works in you, By his Holy Spirit, he will strengthen you and enable you to love one another as he loves you. I love the way that old Puritan Henry Skugel puts it. He says, quote, the worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. He who loves mean and sordid things will thereby become base and vile. But a noble, well-placed affection does advance and improve the spirit unto conformity with the perfections of which it loves, end quote. What he's saying here is, whatever your object is, whatever is you're fixing your focus on loving is what you'll become. If you focus your love on that which is not Christ, on that which is worldly, you will become worldly, which means you will become vile. But if you fix your love upon the matchless one of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you fix your entire being on that, your affections on that, 
then there'll be a conformity, a Christ-likeness formed in you. But Christ is more formed in you, the more you will love as Christ loves one another. So set your affections there. Set your affections on Jesus. And he will strengthen you. As you realize his love for you, and as you realize his love for you, you'll love one another as Christ loves you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. In the name of Christ, thanking you for your love. Jesus, you love us. Perhaps no truth is harder for us to wrap our minds around than the fact that you love us as much as you say you do. And we thank you and I pray for myself and for everyone that's a part of our church this morning that you would help us understand in greater depth and measure your love for us, Jesus. And out of that, that it would produce within us a love for one another, a Christ-like love for one another. Help us see that true disciples, true disciples of the Lord Jesus, that we must love one another as you have loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was being betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Take and drink. Let's close. One more prayer. Father, we come before you now in the name of Christ. We thank you for this most precious sacrament by which our faith is nourished, deepened, and strengthened. We thank you for the continual weekly reminder of your great love for us, Lord Jesus, as your body broken and your blood shed. And we thank you that it is your love for us that has forgiven us and reconciled us back in fellowship with God. May we never forget it. May it never grow dull. May we ever be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's uh, take our hymn books and turn to 326, Come Thou Almighty King. Let's stand together.
Well, as we leave this Lord's morning, always a reminder that we have an evening worship service every Sunday night, but receive these words of benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, might, and authority before all time, now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Go in peace. There's coffee and refreshments in the back. Hey, Zoom. One second here. Hey, everybody. Hello. How are you guys? Good seeing all of you. Good to see you. I'm sorry, what was that? Good to see Hi. you. Oh, it's good to see all you guys. Hi. Hey, Jay Shree. Hey, Jay Shree. So. Have a safe Hi. and more comfortable trip back. Yes, we look forward to seeing you next Sunday, Jay Oh, thank Shree. you so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. And amateurs, enjoy we Michigan for us. to see you we, all soon. We will. Thank you so much. So, all right. You guys have yeah, thank you. Alex, after this message, can I call you emery cloth instead of sandpaper? <laughs> we can try. <laughs> so it's a work, it's a hard sermon for me. So so all right, you guys have a good good Sunday. Bye. Bye.